Hello and welcome to another episode of Winning the J-Man. Joining us today is Chaz. Hello folks, how we doing out there? And today's episode is going to be A Pinata Named Desire. It is episode 11 of season 6, number episode uh, 107 overall. It is directed by Bob Bowen, who is also done working such as Meter Maid, Roy Rogers, McFreely, and Jitty from the Black. The writer is going to be Chris and Matt McKenna, who did the Bar Mitzvah Hustle, Tears of a Clooney, and Rapture's Delight. Now, this episode was chosen by Chaz. Yeah, so uh, this episode definitely definitely makes the top of my list. I will say, I, as as a American dad, I wouldn't go so far as to say enthusiast, but definitely a uh, fan. Uh, I would definitely consider myself a fan, um, especially of the older older seasons. Um, there's actually quite a few things, a, a few of the tropes. Um, when it comes to animated kind of adult comedy, it, it hits a lot of the tropes that I find really enjoyable. Stan and Roger, who, uh, of course, Stan being the, the main character throughout the series, and Roger, I mean, he's he's kind of coming to his own as a main character in the show as well. If, if I had to place a, a second lead, he would be it. My favorite episodes kind of deal with them, their interaction, the, the give and take between the characters. I've always loved episodes where, where that is on display. Um, in this ep- episode in particular, um, you get quite a bit of that. Another theme that I love uh, in, in this episode in particular is is uh, Steve's side story arc, which deals with with the sleepover, kind of a coming-of-age tale, the, the death of childhood, and, and trying to cling to, you know, what little bits of childhood we all have left within us. So yeah, really those, those reasons. Um, are kind of my over overarching reasons uh, why why I enjoy this episode why I pick this episode. It's it's hard for me to pin down one, uh, just one that's you know my quote unquote favorite. But I would put this one put this one up here. And really quickly, what what's the name of y'all's of this podcast? Just really quickly. Uh, it's a win in the J Man. Okay, win in the J Man. But it's an American Dad podcast, as it is. as all your listeners of course know by now. Um, Quick, quick anecdote before we really dive into the episode here, if I may. So I was I was talking with with Clayson about uh, the invitation to, to come onto the podcast today. We were riding in the car. It was Clayson, myself, and then Anna Kate, uh, my wife. We were chit chatting about it and, and going back and forth. And she was on her phone in the back seat. And uh, Win and the J Man want me to come on their American Dad podcast. And and she. Anna Kate's ears perked up, and she said, "Why do they want you on their podcast?" I said, "Well, what do you mean? I mean, they're doing, you know, American Dad podcast is something that's that's very near and dear to their hearts." And she said, "But they don't have any kids." <laughs> I was like, "She was like, is this discussing fatherhood in America?" <laughs> I said, "No, no, no." But and and of course, at this point, Clayson and I both lost it. Yeah, she th- she thought initially that it was fatherhood in America, and she couldn't understand how y'all were knowledgeable enough to, to do a, book, a podcast on that. We will be starting that series shortly, and it will come with books that you can purchase for a nice low fee of thirty nine ninety nine. It's going to be Iron Strengtheneth Iron, 
everyone gets a sword at the end. Now, I can't help but notice there, Jamie, you're making a reference to a Bible study that our dads were <laughs> in, in middle and or high school. I can't really exactly. I was probably in high school. You were probably in middle school. My dad, being the, the stalwart man he is, decided to join in on everybody else's uh, sword slashing parade. And uh, didn't want to get us a sword, which did kind of hurt. You got everyone else with nice swords. And here we are. We get To be fair, I also... Bibles. All right, so just to, to give the, the listeners some, some insight here. So J-Man and I were in a Bible study together, uh, put on by our dads to, to, you know, of course, grow up to be strong Christian warrior men. Um, was kind of the, the premise of it. And um, at the end of you know it's it's several weeks probably six or seven weeks um all the dads and their sons get together and are supposed to be presented with a sword and like knighted like you know putting on the armor of god and, and so on and so forth but um the, i think there was one sword if my memory serves me correctly there was only one sword and and we all got quote unquote knighted i don't feel like i did not get a sword i definitely did not get a sword i, don't I just think anyone else did I just remember, like, the other groups that were also doing it at the church were like, yeah, my dad got me a sword. And then I just remember dad just sitting there with his sword, and he's like, yep, I got this thing down at the uh, at the fish market down there, and shoot, you swing this thing, it'll chop down a tree, it's so sharp. And the, the dude telling me, he said it was made by one of them samurais from Japan bringing it over here. Still got the fish guts on it. <laughs> Man, I, I cut open me a big old bash this morning. Hey, shoot, thing didn't even take but one whack. <laughs> thing was still flapping around when it first got in my boat. Wasn't flapping around no more after I put old Betty in her. We got that, and then on the way home, we actually well, we accidentally hit a deer. We have to say accidentally because you know <laughs> it's illegal to go ahead and eat roadkill. But we did kind of go ahead and bring it home. We hung it up up on the little play gym out there, and we just sliced it open, let it you know get out overnight let it kind of bleed out and a couple bears came but you know good thing old bessie was there with me i took my knife out there and i said look you better get on out of here you little son of a bitch that's my deer right there and you know if i i scared off some bears that night but they did try you know to sneak son? into the house you know what son that's what makes me a good american dad <laughs> So so wait so when you were knighted with these swords let's 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 return back to that for a second when you were knighted with these swords are these like are these like the same swords that they knight like the queen knight people with like these thin little things are these broad swords or are these like buoy knives like yeah, what is like mall, mall ninja shit mall no, like it, it was it was not mall ninja it wasn't quite that it was it was closer to what you were saying first one it wasn't like a rapier it was like a broadsword. I mean, a cheaply made, I'm sure, replica. No, I mean, it was metal, but, you know, this this wasn't made to be a sword, but it was big. If you're going to be putting on the armor of God, they want you to have, they don't want you to have a damn mall katana. The symbolism would just be all, all out of whack. Right, you mixing them Eastern religions, boy. He going to be start worshiping Buddha after this if you, if you not with Exactly. Katana. You exactly. some bitch, is that a cow-cow sword? <laughs> you know we're shooing this household. Fatherhood in America, right there. That's right, and you know we are happy if if we've got any potential fathers listening to us that want some advice on how to raise their children from, you know, 
complete experts because all you need to be an expert in America is a mic and a loud enough voice. Uh, we are happy to dispense any and every advice. In fact, we may make that a, a segment towards the end. We might answer your fatherhood questions about those of you that may have joined the, the podcast under the wrong pretenses, may have subscribed for the wrong reason. We actually jump right on into this episode. A pinata named Desire goes straight to the first scene. Most of the time, you know, you have the opening scene, you have the opening credits, you have the song, you have the dance, Roger pops out in some crazy costume. Uh, there is no title. On, there is no opening song on this. They go straight to the title, and they start um, with Roger's audition, which means that this episode is so packed with goodies that they literally can't even take the extra 30 seconds that they would have needed to put in the regular title because there's just too much stuff to unpack. So let's go ahead and start unpacking it now. So we get to the stage, and Winslow, as a theater man, how much did you enjoy Roger's performance of the Titanic? Well, let me tell you, it is a really special sort of actor that brings props on stage to them for audition. Like, I remember when I was in college and did a couple of auditions, like, most of the time you're just kind of hoping that you don't fuck up whatever you memorized or whatever you're supposed to sing or whatever. You're you're still kind of a ball of nerves at that age. Uh, to take props onto the stage, not one, but two props on the stage like that is really ballsy, really ballsy move there by Roger. But I, I think the only way that the Titanic should be performed from here on out is from a kiddie pool. I think that that is just a genius bit of uh, improvisation. The the opening scene is, first of all, if I can comment on, on the director, he just... I, I can't remember his name. It's some, like, Spanish name. Mr. Rivera Perez. Yes, R Rivera Perez. Yes, of course, the esteemed playwright at your, at, at every town USA's community theater. Uh, so it, I, I got a good kick out of his characters. I, I, I almost wish we had seen him a little bit more uh, in the episode, played a little bit more, bigger of a role. Voiced by, uh, voiced by Matt McKenna, who was one of the writers for this episode. So he was able to give it that. Matt McKenna also did, gosh, um, Captain Monty, and he kind of, he does this really good, very expressive, but other, and, and uh, Buckle, those very expressive, but very monotone sort of characters. So I thought he, he was a great voice for Mr. Rivera Perez there. So with the whole community acting and everything, I haven't been to many community plays, but would you say that the director would be kind of this generic, like, posh guy that's just I am making the most fantastic art that anybody has ever seen in this community. I, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of community theater, but I can definitely tell you that your drama teachers fall under one of two very distinct guidelines. They either do see themselves as visionaries or, uh, you know, glass shatterers or whatever. And then there are those that have kind of, after a couple of years, have gotten burned out on the experience, but it's a paycheck. So they're a little bit less uh, full of themselves. And usually you can tell that with age. Usually the younger community directors are the ones that really come in and just totally are ready to set the whole world on fire. But there's actually, um, if, if you enjoy the, the hijinks of community theater, there's actually a great movie about that called Waiting for Guffman, where this, this small rural town and... Corky, the the stage director, comes in from out of town, and he's got all these crazy ideas, and he upsets the town people. It's a very it's a very good display of I'm sure what an over the top community theater director would be. So I, I I wish I could give you more insight, but I know that they're either one of those two types, and it seems like Mr. Rivera Perez is definitely type A. Because I mean, who who wouldn't 
who wouldn't think that when you hear lines like, have you tasted the pico de gallo of a man's heart? How is that not someone that's going to set the world on fire? We've all done done our stints in in uh, school-produced theater, and and so I guess I just want to float out there, like uh, you know, in, in regards to the opening of the of the episode and everything, you know, callbacks, auditions, things like that. I mean, I feel like in the in in when. Maybe you've got a little bit better insight since since you were uh, in theater, of course, uh, at the at the university level. Um, but I, I I did probably four or five drama productions and even starred in a couple at uh, when I was in in high school. Um, is it is it it's pretty similar? Is community theater a lot? Because at the school level, of course, you know they they kind of you know take what they can get to some degree. Um, but is it? At the university level, surely there's competition for roles and callbacks, and actually, you know, it's, it's fairly similar to how it's in the episode. Or am I, am I misunderstanding that? No, you totally, you totally understand it. University theater is a little, a little cutthroat, just because. And again, I speak about this from the perspective of someone who basically just started hanging out with theater kids and going to theater kid parties and would kind of just head to auditions and stuff like that. But, um, you know, these guys are there for theater they're studying it they are taking classes about it like it's a big part of kind of their their and especially it's a huge part of their college identity and stuff like that so there is a lot of on on audition days i do remember especially among the the women there was a lot of competition with i whereas with the guys it was very much the opposite with the guys there were so few theater major guys that Honestly, they were just happy to have whoever they could in some cases, which is probably how I ended up on stage in in college doing theater. It was not necessarily because I was some, you know, wonderful starring acting talent who just chose the life of history. Like, I think it was just they needed some guys to fill it in. But with the girls, it was really cutthroat, man. I mean, there were there were really talented gals that were all competing for one spot and one would get it and the rest of them would have, you know, either would go to community theater as a kind of a secondary refuge or were just, you know, just would have to wait for the next round of auditions. But it was a lot more cutthroat from the gals end than it was the boys end. The boys end, it was just, hey, we're here and there's five guys spots and six guys. So one of you might not make it. And that's tough. But please stick around. We're going to need a lot more guy parts in the in the upcoming plays. That was kind of the vibe that I got. Um, Just it, it. Well, from from what I recall, when you would uh, come back from your auditions and stuff, so it's it's kind of good to see that uh, that at least it's shared. You know, you've you've kind of you can speak you can speak with some gravitas, with some experience uh, in in regards to this episode. So that'll be that'll be some good uh, good uh, insight into the episode. I knew that's why you picked it, Zach. You don't you don't have to beat around the bush, man. You exactly. picked it just because you wanted to hear my theater stories. I get it. No, I do want to hear a theater story, and I want to hear Josh's theater story because the only the only play that I ever saw Josh in, and I did see Josh in a play, you were a jitterbug, dressed in like forty style clothing and a Mike Tyson face tattoo, but you were in The Wizard of Oz, which just leads to so many questions. So can you tell us how your theater experience went? So I don't remember it that well, and it's kind of all a blur. And we can just go ahead and move on to the next scene of the episode where we've got Stan sitting at a table. It, I mean, everything just kind of came about with, like, our, so our theater department, 
mainly starting with ours, uh, one one of the people there, David Moss, he he's probably, you know, if you have to pick out like one key person, he was definitely the one who really brought up our school's entire play system. Um, we had very, very little funding. Uh, the only, like all the sets and everything, all the wood, all that crap was literally from the dumpster. Um, they, it was either from the dumpster or it was reused from previous. We really had a very, very small budget. So it was literally just the cheapest shirts we could find. You know, everyone can go to Walmart, get like a $2 shirt. So that's basically what we did. Um, we got that and, you know, face paint's cheap as hell. Cause that's like the only thing the school actually bought. If I'm not mistaken, our actual budget for the entire thing was a hundred dollars. And that was with uh, the drama teacher literally being there like day and night saying, hey, we really need funding. We've already – and that w- this is after they won the state one-act play. Mm. And they still said, well, I don't really see a point in giving y'all's department any money. Um, but that that's kind of where everything kind of came from. And they were like, well, we kind of want face paint for it, but we're not sure what to do. And – you know, we're just like, ah, fuck it. Why not just Mike Tyson? That's some funny shit. <laughs> She's like, you know what? That actually sounds pretty good. You know what? We'll, we'll stick with it. How, who, who can do that? And they, uh, so that was kind of why we did it. We kind of ended up that way. And, I mean, to to be completely fair, I did it because there was someone I was crushing on. <laughs> you were and, crushing- uh don't you know what that's like? <laughs> and you know, turns out that person turns into your wife like what is it, like eight years later or something like that? So, you know, it didn't didn't turn out too bad. No, it did not. No, well, it did not. I think you know so what else just... didn't uh you know what else didn't turn out too bad? Was the uh, Rogers audition. I, I think Roger did a great job of of uh of bringing bringing the heartfelt drama of the Titanic in the midst of a kiddie pool. But I found the dub to be a bit unnecessary, and I found the headshot to be horrifying. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into into scene two in the house. Ah. Another, which is where, of course, the Psych 101 gag is is revealed. But, um, yeah, the and I feel like this is a, a another one of the reasons why I chose this, this episode and a, another motif that I enjoy is the called top dog the big dog it's the it's the steak and i feel like this happens at every smith family dinner it's true whether it's stan and steve or whether it's stan and roger uh, there's there's always competition for the biggest piece of 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 meatloaf gotta be the alpha (laughs) or the walrus as we saw in one episode (laughs) yeah that was a good one we also found out an interesting fact in in this scene about stan that he is um He's one in 200 men in that he can lactate. I was just going to say, that came so far out of left field. And <laughs> and I'm slightly perturbed, not perturbed, but disturbed, rather, at how yellow the discharge was. But yeah, the 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 whole kitchen dynamic set it up really well. The, I can uh, do anything yep. better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I, I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. 
anytime you can bring in some old 40s Broadway, get a little Annie, get your gun, and get them singing at top notes, that is just too much. That's that's perfect. So yeah, we move into we move from the the Smith family kitchen to the Pearl S. Buck cafeteria, and this is where we set up that sort of secondary story that you'd been talking about, Zach, with the uh, with the sleepovers, and they are they're setting up the the ideas for the sleepovers, and Steve says, you know. Want to watch an 80s crap fest like Critters or Critters 2? And again, thanks to the good people at uh, the American Dad Wiki, I found out that that is actually a, a very nuanced joke because Scott Grimes, the voice of Steve, starred not only in Critters, but also in Critters 2. So, ragging on his own work. What a guy. What a guy. Getting that own little stab in there. <laughs> That's right. I, I couldn't even tell you what the Critters franchises about couldn't either man and i i like to i like to sit i like to think that i know my my really bad 80s movie apparently uh after gremlins uh god that is just i'm looking at it now this is truly terrifying oh man yeah for those of you that that have never seen it it is imagine like the hairiest ball sack that you can possibly imagine Give it two red eyes and a row of sharp teeth, and I, I, I can't imagine who's voicing these things, but these things are horrendously ugly. Yeah, I'm, I'm also watching the trailer right now. This is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surprised it didn't make the uh, top 100 movies of all time. Give it time. Give it time. Which is a, that is a thing. Or you and you and Chuck are still doing that, right, Zach? Yes, yes, we are. Have your listeners been initiated to to the bracket? Just in case this may be somebody's first episode joining us, uh, go ahead and give them the give them the rundown. Um, but basically, what it is is, um, and and we got this idea from your your very own host, Wynn, who uh, created a bracket of the American Film Institute's top one hundred films of all time. Uh, but basically, it's a hundred around. Uh, just traditional style bracket, kind of like March Madness. And so the first, I think, 28 films get a buy. Uh, so such classics as Casablanca and uh, Lawrence of Arabia and uh, Dr. Zhivago, you know, all, all these classic classic films get, get a buy. But, um, you know, certainly the list is still filled the, in the first round of the bracket. You still have uh, such classics as Yankee Doodle Dandy, which we happen to watch on Memorial Day. Uh, Man, I bet, I bet that put that y'all in the American spirit. George M. Cohen, right? Yes, exactly. It was, <laughs> it, it actually, um, it was a 98 seed up against the Maltese Falcon. Mm. And through Chuck and Anna Kate's persuasion, they, they put it through to the next round over the Maltese Falcon. I was a little salty. Yeah, it's somewhere James Cagney is, is, is smiling from his grave, man. That is, I, you know what I bet, I bet what, what did it was, those songs, man, they will stick in your head for. I, I oh, yeah. sure you were you were humming it to yourself at least once or twice at work. Oh yeah, I mean before I before I came down here to to hop on with y'all, I was singing over there. So, <laughs> yeah, it's they're definitely earworms, but it's a cool idea. Uh, that would be a cool podcast idea. I, uh, I'd be up to it. I y'all could do that well. Yeah, maybe maybe we will. Yeah, where where were? How did we get off on that tangent? You know that's the beauty of podcasting, man. You you never really know where we got off on that ta- tangent. I think we were watching Critters and Critters Two. And- ah, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, getting bringing it back to to the topic at hand, 
sleepovers, love them, endorse them strongly, uh, not just in high school. Um, in fact, this past weekend, Chuck, Chuck slept at my house two nights because of the Memorial Day. We did, uh, we did get, get to enjoy some of that, that whole sleepover life. And, and, and really, I'm kind of curious, and this will be another little, a little rabbit trail, but when did you, I know, of course, J-Man and I, uh, every weekend, it was not even a question. It was sleepover up till 4 a.m., go to Waffle House, smoke cigars, what was your sleepover experience? I'm curious to hear this. I, uh, you know, that's that's a good question. I'll say I'll answer that in two parts really quick. Um, the first one of those, you know, my my folks expected me to have sleepovers just by the way that my room was arranged because, you know, they had two they had two I don't even know what bed measurement you would give them, but you know, two single beds were in that room, and so it was always going to be the guest bedroom. And so yeah, like, you know, there were people that you know, friends and stuff like that that would come over and sleep over and stuff like that. And yeah, it would be, as I, as I got older, you know, it'd be like, you know, first having, you know, access to the internet and instead of being, you know, 18 or 16 year old boys and, you know, getting up to no good, we would watch like literally Simpsons or Futurama or American Dad until like three or four or five in the morning. So that was, that was a big part of it. Um, and then, yeah, with y'all, I mean, it was, you know, I definitely had a couple sleepovers at your place, Zach. Um, I remember them fondly mostly because, um, well, not mostly because, but the first thing that comes to mind was the fact that my folks would not allow me to have sugary cereal in the house. And so whenever I got to sleep over at Zach's, not only did I get to play copious amounts of video games, which we definitely did throughout the day and well into the night, but also would, um, would have sugary cereal in the morning courtesy of Aunt Robin. So, you know, that was, those were always fond memories of my of my childhood was, you know, sleeping over the cousins. And yeah, as we got older, I'd, I'd certainly joined y'all in my fair share of those Waffle House expeditions and would, would end up crashing at y'all's place. And those are good times. Yeah, that was, uh, I would like to take credit for, for your and the J-Man's friendship. Boy, are we glad that it did. <laughs> Speak as am for I. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like there should be a sound effect there, you know, like a nice little like the the studio audience just going, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny speaking. You bringing up sleeping over when you when you come to my house when I, I kind of remember, um, you know. Well, of course, I remember the times when when you would come over and you and your family would come over, and y'all would pretty much always come over versus us going to where you were because you were. That's there. very true. Yeah, Montana for you know the early years and then and then transitioning to Birmingham but mostly it was because our grandmother um, was was also literally uh, right across the street yes exactly full disclosure uh, Wynn and I are cousins so uh, <clears throat> our dads are brothers uh, and I lived right next to my grandmother so we would uh, they would typically come to see us uh, but thinking back to to this to the sleepovers when you and I had, because um, because man, I feel like ours were you know pretty standard video games weekends. We'd see each other, so we kind of grew up together in in many facets. But I I, I distinctly remember there was a time, and I guess this was probably late in high school, um, where uh, not so much drinking, but but smoking was kind of the cool thing in our group and. And I remember 
uh, bringing you in over once, and I was just like, man, this is all going to be, like, so new, because, I don't know, I just had one of these, like, very coming-of-age moments, I guess it, it, it's the best way I can describe it, where I was like, oh, man, we used to just, you know, play with, uh, only play video games, and only just hang out and play with that, that nut that you had, the sports nut. <laughs> oh, man, the sports nut, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, we would do things like that. I mean, just typical childhood things. But then I had this moment where, you know, you came one time, we played the sports night, we played our video games, ran around outside. And then the next time you came, it was like, oh, well, now we're going to stay up till 3 a.m. smoking cigars and, you know, getting into shenanigans. And I I, I remember thinking, I was like, man, is, is, am I going to corrupt Win? Am I going to, am I going to, like... <laughs> transform my innocent young cousin into a, into a social deviant so and I guess I didn't have that with you Josh even though you're uh, or J-Man even though you're a little bit younger uh, you were kind of always there all the time so it was a much more gradual transition I mean with how many people we had it's kind of you know me and my brother just stuck right there so anything he got into I kind of got into as well yeah and, I, and that's the beauty of a sleepover it's certainly some of my most treasured memories, fond memories. And that's part of what, at an emotional level, this episode appeals to me uh, so much because of that whole, you know, coming of age, the death of innocence, the death of childhood. I, There's a person inside Big Bird. <laughs> yes. Yes, thank you, Barry. Man, I am ashamed at how old I was when I realized what they were doing at the end of this episode, when they're <laughs> laying on their backs and rocking back and forth. That was... Um... Man, I don't know how I missed that during my college days, but I definitely, like, only about two or three years ago was like, oh, my God, that's the filthiest joke in this entire episode. Ronnie the Champ actually getting it, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're doing it, Ronnie. Way to go. Uh, but before we get to them actually being at the slumber party, we have to have the, the fact that they are still trying to figure out what they want to do at the slumber party. And they, they do, of course, give a great... I would say this is an this is an adventures and odyssey type of line, where they go, uh, you know, should we watch an eighties crap fest? Should we cap it off with some uh, casual demon worship, courtesy of the Ouija board? Did y'all did y'all ever play with a Ouija board at all, or is this um? No, a Ouija board in this household, Winslow. I would never invite the devil. No, of course not. He gets all up inside you, and you just start acting out, speaking back to your parents, and knocking cookies over on the table. My god, dude. And that that was one thing, is our our house was, like, fucking haunted. Like, in the middle of the night, you'd just hear, like, a door slam because of the poor construction. Especially during the summer, or during the winter, as the wood is starting to compact and slowly get, you know, tighter. All of a sudden, you just, or looser... No, it gets it gets tighter. You just start to hear uh, one of the doors upstairs that was connected to a completely empty room. We kind of used it for, like, doomsday storage, I guess, would be the best way to put it. We always had, like, hundreds of bottles of water and, like, a crap ton of canned beans. But that one door, as soon as the HVAC would kick on, it would blow it out because of the positive pressure in there. <laughs> and then just suck it right back in as soon as it kicked off. So even like, if you're even if you hadn't grown up in a super religious household, you're not gonna invite 
you're gonna not get invited spirits into a house that's already hell no we've got <laughs> enough spirits in my apartment right now got the cat just like mirror like she'll jump up on the nightstand like get your attention like meow like she's in trouble like just nice and gentle and then she'll like mirror cat up and just stare at the hallway and it's like well that's uneasy i'm about <laughs> to get murdered or we got a spirit and either way it doesn't look too good for the life of josh that's, that's what you that's what you want in a house that's what you're looking for in an apartment yeah you just gotta call out red robin and they'll they'll red pop robin. out with a yum Wait, yeah i was actually yeah, having red robin red robin yum. <laughs> so we uh demon possession really quick if i may by all means please if you got if you got demon possession, let's go for it. Yes. Well, this is more. I would say, which a Ouija board, big no no. I'm sure we can all we can all agree on that in our in our upbringing. Um, but there was which which when and I'm I'm actually curious to hear both of y'all's hot take on this was because in in this actually works. Beautifully, because when you referenced an episode of Adventures in Odyssey mm-hmm. uh, earlier, um, I have to ask, and there was actually a two-part Adventures of Odyssey d- episodes, I guess you would call them, on this very subject, which dealt with Dungeons and Dragons being demonic. Uh, have you have you had the pleasure, Win, of, of, of did, did you hear those episodes? By this is the one I totally do remember. This one, and this is the one that actually sticks out to me because it's the one where they're like. If you're, he starts out, he falls under the, he falls under the sway of a devious dungeon master, and the dungeon master by the end wants him to cut his thumb or like cut off his thumb or something like that to prove he's worthy of being in the guild or something. Is in that? Yeah, right? I, I, from my very vague recollection, I think they were planning on like pricking their fingers and doing some, you know, putting it on the paper as a quote-unquote blood contract or something similar. Yeah, and of course. Good old Mister Whitaker oh, comes stops him just in time. <laughs> yep, as as is tradition. True. Uh, but but that whole you know demonic talking about you know the uh, Ouija board and that whole section got me thinking too because I had listened to that and of course you know both of our parents pushing that that adventures and not. Adventures of the Odyssey. Great way to pass along to our ride. I'll say that right now. We absolutely, took absolutely. In our no day. doubt. And yeah. they even and they even had I think um, certain episode like VHS exclusive type you know episodes that you can oh, watch yeah. too. But, um, yeah, I just when they brought up the Ouija board and thinking about like sleepovers and demonic type activity, I remember that um, specifically. Uh, I will say that our forays into Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Josh would would usually end up with you rolling to see how much beer you could chug or <laughs> having sex with a corpse or something. Oh God. Um, but yeah, I, I I remember a couple times where we would uh, where we'd play some some Dungeons and Dragons, and Josh, you, you may, I think you were there, but were you there when we snuck into? Yep. Chuck's foreclosed house, after it had been repossessed by the bank, started a fire because, of course, there's no electricity. Started a fire in his fireplace, and played Dungeons and Dragons by candlelight. Yep, because in, in that was the night that my person got killed on like the first room, 
And rather than reviving my ass, everyone else decided to build a giant beer pit and go and swim in it. So I was left in the dungeon while everyone else was in town with the dwarves in the beer pit. Now yes. that is a sleepover right there. That is a true definition of a sleepover. So that's how, that's how most of our adventures, if you can even call them that, ended. was about ten minutes of actual attempted gameplay and then... Uh, and then characters engaging in orgies and or drunkenness and all the other devious, salacious acts that one can do. In there, um, there's a great... Dan Harmon, who did Community and Rick and Morty and all these sort of things, did a great audio piece from one of his early days, and it's about... It starts out that idea. It's like, Dungeons and Dragons, Satan's Game. Whether you like it or not, your children are being slowly drawn to the occult. And it's like these guys in their basement, and then one of the guys is like, I want to go to the bar and see if there are any girls. Roll and see if I do any girls. <laughs> well, I thought I thought you were going to bring up the Harmon quest. Oh, does he do Does he do that? I, is that who does that? Yeah. Oh, man. So he, he does a Dungeons & Dragons game, is that correct? Or what is yeah. it? So they play through a Dungeons and Dragons game and everything with like a live audience, but they like cut it up into like forty-five hour minute episodes, and they actually like have animated pieces with it. Oh man! So you'll you know like as they're talking about it, they'll transition from you know the audience and all them laughing to them being animated in this dungeon as they go around. That's brilliant! Oh man. So that was y'all's dabbling with the occult, huh? Yeah, that was our, our foray into the dark arts. So Roger's trying to act, and he's not doing a great job of it. Well, he's doing a great job of it, but again, the the lines are just... What Mr. Rivera Perez has written is just god-awful. Um, and then, of course, uh, Stan comes in and belittles what Roger's doing and you know says that... Uh, I can't remember how exactly it's opened up, but... But Klaus gets his one line in here and then gets smashed to the wall, which is a great line. It says, he says, you know, Stanislavski says that acting is the greatest lie, which a lot of those college kids that I was acting plays with, man, they were, they were toting around their constant, their constant Stanislavski's acting book. So that was a shout out to the, the acting nerds right there. And it got the treatment it deserved, which was him getting slammed up against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> So the whole scene opens up with Roger saying, have you ever seen the word piñata? It has that little squiggly line above the end. So what do you what do you think about the whole treehouse scene where you've got everyone just getting their hands dipped in water? And then <laughs> what it goes like a Steve snot and then or Barry snot. And then it goes like Toshi and it's got Barry peeing his pants for him, even though he's wide awake. <laughs> It's um, it's only made better by you know a very good. I, I can't remember the name of the Sam Cooke song, but the come on and take the good time on. Yeah, it's um. We're gonna stay here till the night is old. That that brings up that that scene brings up another quick question. I feel like it'll probably be quick since none of us were in fraternities, but but what was the worst way? when you were drunk or passed out, or asleep even for that matter, although I feel like it happens less when someone's just asleep, but what, what was the worst way, or have you been the victim of any kind of shenanigans while, while asleep or while passed out? 
Me? It, you, me, anyone. Personally, I had y'all draw dicks on my face before we went to IHOP when we were in Auburn. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember that very vividly. Y'all, y'all felt like getting a Sharpie after I blacked out and drew giant dicks on my head, like put dick <laughs> here. I got all this stuff off like my hands and arms and legs and all that shit, but I didn't see my face. I didn't, I didn't check it, which I guess was my mistake. But nothing, you know, like walking into Naruto's or fucking IHOP and having a giant dick on your forehead. <laughs> I actually can't, I can't remember that, but it sounds like something we would have done. I can't, I, I honestly can't think of a time when I had been, had anything done to me. Been the victim of sleep? Yeah, I think I just wanted to bring it up to hear that story. So... <laughs> So after this, we have, we have of course, the cheer. We all had a black friend. And then we go straight to Stan blowing the mission. Um, we have Stan heading off, and Roger is following him. And Water and Chaos ensues. <laughs> yeah, Water? Which Are you offering me water? I don't believe you when you are actually offering me water. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that because the scene right after this or at least the next scene that progresses the plot of this episode is Roger in the kitchen coming mm-hmm. in and saying, Water? Very pronounced with two syllables. Um, in the episode, when Stan's on the mission, it doesn't sound like it's that. I mean, he just says water. Water? He doesn't say water. Water? Which, I mean, of course, is just Roger's jab. Additional jab at Stan uh, in, in his asserting dominance because that's when he officially claims the big dog title uh at that big dinner. for the one who didn't make 14 widows last night <laughs> exactly yes that that lovely line um so yeah but the the whole water i feel like now that i'm getting in depth on this episode and, and talking about that line i feel like that now when i hear that word for the next six months in my mind or if i'm at home i will be saying water <laughs> And y'all's thoughts on the whole Stan It's It's not not you Good lord It's alright It's alright It's alright It's alright Are are you talking about the head puppet? Yeah one eye just rolling all the way up As soon as he just comes out from behind The little table Yeah that was That was the disturbingly lovable content that we have grown at this point to to know and love Roger for. And the other thing we've come to know and love Roger for is his personas, and we get a really just great persona um, here with his his acting coach. Um, man, and, and again, we're, we're revved up for it, and we're told this is probably going to be you, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to get down there, and it's going to be you, and Roger just smiles knowingly. It's a strong possibility, and we meet we meet the acting coach, who has got some really good um, good bits of just acting coach jargon that you would definitely hear at any community theater or any acting class, for that matter. Log it and save it for a rape scene. <laughs> exactly the one I was going to say. <laughs> so yeah, so he, he gives them he gives them all plays to read, and they're all classic plays. I mean, Hamlet and Our Town, and then. He gives 
Stan and Stacy, the most, one of the most riveting scenes ever put to this paper. War Games, Act 2, Scene 19. Have you seen War Games? I have not seen War Games, but I have seen that clip. That is one of those clips where I had to, after watching it, I had to go to YouTube and watch it just to see how Broderick does it. And it was it was better than you could have possibly imagined. And, of course, the first, the first quote in the comment was, uh, thumbs up if American Dad brought you here. My, really, my favorite part of that scene was the character Roger was playing the... the uh, generic improv acting coach i guess speaking with no experience but just the way he treated his clients and the and the little um gosh what was the part when when uh he gets a laugh out of those oh now i can forget about taking my ambien prescription yeah 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 that was good that was a, that was a good line that was a good when line. she when she giggles and he points at her and he and he keeps holding that point yeah. as he up the stage that is totally an acting teacher move. That is yes. something yes. that one hundred percent I totally immediately was just like, Yep, I, I think that's that's great. That's great animation. And so we we transition from that to probably my favorite part of this entire episode, if only for the joke that it leads to. In fact, I had totally forgot that this was in this episode until I rewatched it. And I yeah. It was it's when they're in International Boy and they're trying on Trying on the PJs, man, and you know there are a couple of there are a couple of funny little laughs for a second. I mean, you know, like oh, well, stripes hide, hide unwanted uh, oh, pillow fight boners. But yeah, when when the uh, when the the salesman says, oh, there were some little boys looking at these jammies earlier, and they <laughs> smack of money. That that phrase alone, I've definitely used before. But yes, when we get the little entourage, and they are. They're clearly some writers, either writers or animators who have not only seen the show, but know how to dress these little entourages. Because Turtle is dressed exactly like he is an entourage. And, of course, uh, Johnny Drama's got the, is the only one with a little bit of facial hair. It's, it's great. It's, the little entourage bit is hands down my favorite part of this entire episode. Yeah, I wish I almost kind of wish that this whole little entourage spoof was kind of more of a recurring thing. Because I feel like they could work it in in other places as well one of those jokes that actually aged really really well was when they're like we're going to ben you know we're vincent's having a slumber party bindi Irwin's gonna be there which again you think is just like some throwaway like name that they came up with bindi Irwin is steve Irwin's daughter who would have been roughly little entourage age at the time of this joke okay yeah i see that i did not catch that and i don't think even the uh the like wikis caught it either right um so that's good that's a good catch did you catch that or did you read that somewhere no no, no. when i saw bindi Irwin, i was like huh okay i wonder if that's okay. who i think it is and i looked and i was like oh my god that's that's actually really fucking funny uh, the, the whole thing the whole thing worked it was very out of left field but it worked it was especially the thing that clinched it all of course was the theme song coming up oh yeah oh yeah that yeah, the the baby version of the Entourage theme. <laughs> so Josh, add it to your watch list. Watch watch Entourage. Well, at least give it you know give it a give few. it a season or two. It's yeah. it's good for about a season or two, and then you pretty much have the gist of it. Like, will Vince get in the movie or not? Does it really matter? Like, it's I think someone has described it very accurately. I can't remember who exactly, but someone has very accurately described it as Sex in the City for guys because it totally is. After the little entourage scene, we go right back to the 
to the um, 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 to the acting class. Also, real quick, fun fact: um, the 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 woman who is Stan's scene partner is voiced by Lucy Lawless, who used to be Xena, Warrior Princess. So I thought that was like that was that was a really cool kind of pickup from. What, was her character likened after? Uh, uh, I can't. My, no, my no, memories no. of Xena are hazy at best, yeah. but. Imagine black hair and a uh, okay. a warrior, a sword and sandals kind of outfit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Definitely not. Definitely not modeled after Lucy Laws. Definitely one of those moments where she's hidden in her character like if you didn't if you weren't just a lucy lawless fanboy and be like oh my god that's lucy lawless like yeah you wouldn't have possibly been able to pick that up so that was i like that that was kind of hidden in there yeah Yeah. family guy family guy and and american dad do that a lot better than the simpsons but the simpsons it's like if you're gonna have a a a famous celebrity or or someone that people are gonna recognize like you better draw it like them you may you better make them have a joke about themselves like they better be a, a rotating part of the story whereas now they're just like oh let's just call up lucy lawless terry cruz is in this episode as well he's um he's barry he's he gets the great line of tiggle biddies john cho from uh harold and kumar's in this but none of them are none of them are celebrities so you don't have to worry about doing that so My, the highlight of this scene for me was uh <laughs> Go get me a butterscotch. (laughs) (laughs) Butterscotch what? (laughs) Yeah, that... I don't know why... Which, I guess this is why Roger's such a gem uh, in in a lot of episodes. Because if he's not making some sort of uh, reference, you know, comedic reference, he'll just say something completely random. And then... And then his character, whichever persona he's adapted, will will have some sort of witty response. And the whole butterscotch slathering the the butterscotch pudding on his face, doing ta-da, basically, and then walking over and saying, so tell me, why didn't that work? Yeah. <laughs> Which is also a great acting coach question. Every, exactly. every time, why didn't this scene work? Why didn't yeah. you? Yeah, that's 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 the total acting. I, I feel like that's a very improv teacher. Okay, I I can never be wrong because I can just use this as a teaching moment type thing. <laughs> that's job security right there, man. If you yeah, absolutely turn your failures into why didn't into a question for the students, like man, you don't you you don't have to work a day in your life. <laughs> so I correct me if I'm wrong. I think we moved from here to the pizza parlor you are correct absolutely we moved to the pizza parlor scene and pepperoni doesn't feel like a last last pizza yeah and and it took my second rewatching to catch this part mm. uh for steve's reasoning did did y'all catch steve's re- reasoning as to why pepperoni wouldn't work just out you of mean, curiosity? do you mean the line where he's like it starts out as one thing and then gets cuts up into little pieces yes piece yes exactly yeah i thought that i thought that was pretty good uh a very nerdy Steve type thing to to say, and and I didn't catch it on the first watch, but it actually is it's kind of funny. It makes a little bit of sense. So it uh, it yeah, it's 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 a weirdly profound line in this episode about about pepperoni, which we don't have often profound thoughts about. But it does also have a great line as we get to the <laughs> the continual you know snarky and back and forth and everything like that. And finally, Toshi is ready to offer him parts of wisdom with the words, a great Japanese poet once said, 
And that is when Snot has had enough. He just learn English, learn English. And we get Toshi's first words in English, which are three of the best words of this episode. Eat my balls. <laughs> I also love that they had to subtitle his English just in case. <laughs> Gotta avoid that censorship one way or another. That's right, man. They can they can only get away with so much uh, after they probably spent all their censorship points on the on the scene that's that's coming up soon with the make out. They were just like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna push the censors on this one, and everything else the censors have got notes about. We're done. We're not gonna argue it in the slightest. I I guess from there they moved to it's the scene with the callbacks. So we've got. Oh man, Rebetta Perez. Rebetta Perez, you got it. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, Rebetta Perez. Um, and Rogers there, conveniently with Haley and Francine, of course, waiting with champagne in the woodworks. Um, <laughs> the reasoning his... behind the champagne is pro- is is brilliant. Uh, I I missed it. What did he say? Or... He, says, uh, he gives the champagne to Haley, and he says. I want you to have this ready for when he calls my name so that you can pound it and go out and buy me some cocaine. I'm you can tonight. pound it to get up the courage to go buy me some cocaine. Okay. Ah, yes. We get the day... Is this the denouement? The, yes, the all is lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That that Barry line is what, what made me think of that. Um, Barry running into the theater there, but of course... Stan wins the leading role. And then so, we move to play rehearsal where Roger tells the, the two young lovers about the nachos especial. Like, I love how he just brings it across as just, you know, when Stan's acting in the start, you have that same level of confidence coming from Roger that you do Stan with the whole Wachter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got from it too is like, well, and it's nice because they set it up as them just eating, uh, which, in, in being in the situation of a waiter, uh, I thought that was a nice little, <laughs> a nice little throwback to the to the start of the episode with, or the the scene with the CIA, the failed mission. Yeah. So, yeah. The <laughs> can I tell you about the nacho special? You don't have any lines. Come on, man! You gotta give me something. I'm crushing hard on. I've invited a group of people. I'm crushing hard on one of them. <laughs> you know what that's like, don't you, Josh? What Crush is the one that they, they're talking about? The pico de gallo of the soul, or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. You're right. This is lo mismo, lo mismo, salty with tears. They got all crispy on the inside, no hombre. <laughs> and then we we move to the treehouse. We go from from that practice to. The sleepover at first looking like it's just going to be Steve trying to learn how to suck his own dick. In Little case. did you know that's how some people get their hair gel in the morning. Uh, man. Ooh. Ooh. You know what doesn't get booed is uh, is Roger and Stan's competing performance. Uh, that is That is getting cheers from all over the audience in these scenes as they continue to try and one-up each other. Oh, yeah. And and truly the climax of this episode. This is why I love American Dad. This this type of thing right here. I feel like this is why uh, a, a large reason why I chose this episode because it it 
Stan and Roger front and center and in the limelight and you get to see emotions and, and they're fighting their own battle on stage but it's also in front of everyone and they kind of have to do it uh, at least initially um, in their own way before it, it ramps up of course you know the different scenes it starts mm -hmm. off I, th I believe the first scene is where uh, well actually the the opening scene is when Roger comes in in character Diamond, and, diamond. <laughs> yeah, and he asks a question, and Stan sits there for about five seconds, and then says, oh. "See." And then the audience, audience members, are like, wow, did you see how long he waited to say that line? <laughs> He's good. I something about that tickled me so much. I don't know why. Like, I feel like that's the most like someone who feels like or who thinks that they appreciate good acting at a very surface level basal level that's something that they would like appreciate and so i thought i, I, I don't know I got, I got a kick out of that line so uh give me speak to me both of you what your what your favorite parts of the actual play production were why and and we can just you know chat about the about the about the play geez i mean i guess my favorite part is probably the ending of it just the Oh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna act you so hard. What better way to prove you're an alpha than to make love to the man you're fighting? Well, I guess genderless alien that you're fighting. I'm I'm glad you said that scene because my my favorite part of this little interaction is actually probably one of the weirder ones that I definitely didn't understand fully, but I still thought was funny nonetheless. Which was as they are saying their lines, you they begin to start rhyming their lines. You break and you take. <laughs> You've been taking it and breaking it and snaking from the start. And they end up doing an audience participation shout-out of, you know, Ricky Lake, Blank Steak. Ladies, what do you want? Ricky Lake. Fellas, Blank, Blank steak. steak. I love that part, man, just because it is off-the-wall weird. That is also my favorite, um, aside from the salsa on the toes. Oh, um, but yeah, I don't know why. For some reason, I just lost it there. And then that coupled with in the in the previous act of the play with them smashing, smashing everything. Yeah, that's classic. I agree. I classic will... Stan versus Roger. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to bring up one piece from the whole thing. Get it, baby. How uh, how uncomfortable were you with the whole Roger tongue in the mouth? through the nose, licking the ear. See, that just happens to be my fetish. Uh, that was the one part of that I was like, ah, I'm weirdly turned on by this. <laughs> well, salsa on the toes is my fetish, so oh, I guess man. that's why I didn't have... You're one of those people? Oh. But overall, what would you uh, what would you rate this episode if you had to give it out of 10? I mentioned a lot of the, the tropes and, and different themes that I liked at the start of the episode. Um, I feel like those translate. For me personally, I'll go, I'll go a seven point five out of ten, because I liked again the themes and, and, the, and the Spanish nature of the play and, and and all that fun stuff. I feel like they could have given a little more screen time to the to the sleepover. For me personally, just because that resonates with me a little bit more, but. I mean, overall, very funny. One of my favorites, or a standout one for me at least. 
So I'd, I'd give it a 7.5. I would say a 7. I would say that the little entourage line, or the little entourage joke is still easily top five jokes on American Dad that I still think about from time to time and will still definitely laugh. I would say that this does a very good job of just staying pretty true to the plot. There's not really anything outside of this that they have to really reset or set the genie back in the bottle with. It was it, it was a good, funny, solid episode. A couple good lines. Um, just a classic kind of season seven fortune that, that still showed that you know, they may not have classics in every single episode of the season, but this is definitely one of the better better ones of that kind of mid, mid-level mid American Dad season. I'd, I'd give it a, a solid seven. I, I enjoyed it. I liked the whole Terry Crews cameo. I don't know. I felt like the uh, there could have been more to the core of the episode. I think I would have liked it better if they would have reversed the last two scenes and had it end on the play with getting to the car, and it's like, well, I acted the crap out of you. I think ending it there would have definitely made it a little bit better, as opposed to going back to the treehouse and, you know, but that being said, how would you switch it over from, or how would you put that segue in of, all right, well, now we're going to go back to Roger about to get pounded in the bomb. Just looking at that ending as well, kind of in the same vein as what you're saying, Josh. I feel like it did end a little bit abruptly, the, the main story arc, because, uh, of course, they're getting ready to pound. I feel like they I feel like they could have done it, had a little bit more finesse in there, uh, where uh, the curtains are drawn and there's a few more, you know, gags or people run out and discuss. But it literally cut from Stan throwing um, Roger on the table to them, you know, being thrown in the back of the police car. I feel like they could have worked something, some other kind of gag in there to to uh, Give it a get nice a little. Look. Yeah, exactly. They could have done a little bit, uh, done a little bit more, and then done away with the final treehouse scene. But overall, no regrets. None whatsoever. Boys, I just want to thank you both for having me. I appreciated the chance to discuss fatherhood in America. <laughs> with all of you and look forward to to more fascinating fatherhood tips that will greatly improve my life. <laughs>